Welcome to Mysteries, Monsters, and Mayhem. I'm Shannon Lawrence. And I'm M.B. Partlow. Quick content warning before we get started. This podcast may contain language and disturbing content, so enter at your own risk. Hello, again. Here we are. (laughs) (laughs) I'm doing the whole raise the roof thing with my hands. We're all into it. We're all pumped. We are. I am. (laughs) We are. Someone is. (laughs) Someone in this room is pumped. It's the royal we. (laughs) I got to look up. I got to look up a drug term for this week. So I'm all excited. Yeah. I just had to look up Wisconsin pronunciations. Well, I saw something and I thought I knew what it was, but I said, you know, I don't always know what the drug lingo means. So I'll go look this one up. The drug lingo. The drug lingo. You know, the, the kids. The PCP, the angel dust. <laughs> Those kids and their drugs. Yes. <laughs> I think I think that I've, I'm on the opposite. I'm on the downslope where I'm starting to forget all those terms. <laughs> like, yeah, whatever. Yep. Who cares? It was a drug. Great. What did it do? Was it an upper or a downer? Yeah. Which way was or Did it just take you sideways? Did they go crazy? Did they have strange strength? Cool. Just tell me what it did. Well, know? when... A couple of years ago on Thanksgiving, they did a marathon. Some One of the TV stations did a marathon of Pee-wee's Playhouse. Oh, I was thrilled because in the 80s, when it was on originally on Saturday mornings, Frida and I would get up in the morning on a Saturday morning, of course, having been out the night before, and we would drink mimosas and watch Pee-wee's Playhouse because it was the most surreal experience. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, you're mildly hungover. You're drinking a mimosa, and you're watching this, Weird. and you're like... What the fuck is this? But anyway. Yeah, if you've never experienced Pee-wee's Playhouse, you just can't understand. So, I'm very excited to watch some of this, and I don't know what Thing 2 is doing. So, Lucy sits down and watches some of it with me. And she we watch like a whole episode, or maybe two, and she looks at me and she goes, What the hell was wrong with the 80s? And I said, I think that's when we invented ecstasy. (laughs) Uh, I believe she tweeted that. <laughs> also cocaine. Yeah. And fucker. neither one but was invented then, but that's when it became really, at least I know that's when ecstasy became, appeared on my radar, and I'm like, it does what? <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> Let's channel Nancy Reagan. Just say no to drugs. Just say no to drugs. I was like, yeah, Nancy, that's a good thing to pour your energy into. What else was she going to do? Let's not give money to schools. Let's not feed people or teach them or clothe them or, you You know. You could be Tipper Gore and go after the the music. The music. Yeah, I watched something about that the other day and I was like, you know what? I think it just registered with me that it was a Democrat that went after that. I was like, so wrong. Maybe Tipper needed to. Hit. <laughs> Tipper needed a hit, needed a... And by that, I do mean a bong hit, not to be struck. Right. <laughs> like, no, no, we're not advocating... No, no. ...beating one, but... <laughs> yeah, just watching all that stuff. And because my... I was telling Jeff, I was like, all I remember is D. Snyder. Yep. In his makeup, standing out there, there were two other people. Zappa. Oh. And oh, somebody... That a good one. Somebody else who surprised me and that's why they're out of my head it wasn't a rock person oh yeah so anyway that i didn't remember them they weren't memorable on the stand but d snyder, snyder. had the big big 
hairband hair on the stand and, and like the makeup. the makeup and everything. And I was like, yes. And I remember that since I was a kid. And he's a that big guy too. He's a pretty big guy. Yeah. yeah. So. Oh yeah. I remember that image. Oh yeah. And, and But again, I looked, I was like, oh, there were other people that were <laughs> up there too. But yeah, he was so memorable. And that's probably why he did it. Right. Cause yeah. I've seen D well. Snyder not dressed to the, he, he did a movie called Strangeland or something that was filmed here. Oh. That's why when I finally watched it, he did a horror film. And uh, they cast, they were casting and looking for people with tattoos. And I was like, I don't have nearly enough tattoos to try out for this show. Because <laughs> there was this, uh, like a S&M type club or something ah. like that. And they were looking for those sorts. So I was like, I bet some of my friends are in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was called Strangeland. It was all about... He's he's a sexual predator who's been set free and he's cleaned himself up. And so here's Dee Snyder with his long hair tied back and like a slicked yep. ponytail mm-hmm. like down here and wearing a cardigan and shit if I remember right. And I'm like, huh. Now, I have seen him cleaned up like that with yeah. his hair slicked back. But I, I'm my mind stutters at the thought of him in a cardigan. Yeah. I'm pretty sure there was a cardigan wow. involved or something. But the whole point of the movie was, so if he's... Is he truly clean? And then everybody just keeps attacking him, right? So the neighborhood ah. hates that he's in their midst. Right. And so he reverts, right? He regresses. Ah. And so the question is, what do you have if they hadn't Had... continued to treat right. him like a monster? Hmm. It was, it's an intriguing horror It's been forever since I watched it. And I think the only reason it was on my radar is because I saw the casting call here in Colorado Springs. Because what a weird city to come to to find punk people. I mean, there are... They're everywhere. I probably knew all of them <laughs> during that, during my teenage years. But it's, oh, this is focused on the family city, mm-hmm. you know? And so how odd for somebody who have come here in the 90s, and that's what they were casting for. It worked. It's very effective. But <laughs> I was like, huh. You know, yes. I actually think we've talked about it before. Maybe. Because I, I didn't recognize it until you said... That he was a predator who had apparently reformed, but then they wouldn't let it go. Yeah. So. I feel like we talked about something like that recently that wasn't that movie, but was along that line. Could be. Who knows? I have We've sh- down done enough episodes where that's going to happen. Yeah. We're like, did we already talk about this? <laughs> or I'm can- waiting till the day when I show up to, for the recording and we find out we've both done the same one. Yeah. <laughs> that's, yep, that's how organized we are. That's, but I do have, I have a spare in case that happens. That's just sitting here on my desk. Because you're so smart. I should do that. Yeah. Then we could both scrap it and just plan to do an episode together. (laughs) Or we just, otherwise it's like paper, box, scissors. (laughs) We'll both talk about it. You start and then I'll jump in. (laughs) I'll throw in the things I learned that you didn't learn. It would have to be one of the bigger topics that had a lot of sources. Yeah. Like, we can totally do that about a serial killer, but you don't usually do serial killers. We're that probably not going to mesh there. Probably not. It's fine. And it's you're never going to do the maple syrup theft. So. No. I'll probably just send it to you and be like, hey, this is right up your alley. You should do this. Uh-huh. <laughs> I almost did that with the firefighters versus clans, but I wanted to do it. <laughs> I love that. Because that would have been right up my alley. <laughs> it would have been my time period. It would Yes. It would have totally worked for me. Oh, I've been watching this show. 
It's called Home Economics. I don't know how old it is. I haven't looked it up. I've never heard of it. Well, here's the thing. With that title, I wouldn't have looked at it twice, except I saw Topher Grace from the 70s show was in it. And I was like, oh, I'll look at this. It's a new show. Is it? Isn't it? Isn't isn't it about him and his two siblings and he's a writer? It is a new show. And I have seen the ads for it. And when it first came out, the ads looked really stupid, but... I don't, but the, now the ads for it look a lot better. Interesting. Well, because I just, only because of Topher Grace, I was like, I'll check this out. Sure. Because I was looking for a new sitcom, basically. Mm-hmm. It's on Hulu, so people know. I'm, it, that means it's airing somewhere else. I have no idea where I don't I, have cable. But, yeah. It's no, on it's ne- one of the regular networks. Because he's not like, it's not a writer like you saw on Mike and Molly, where all uh-uh. of a sudden she had a three-book contract or yeah. whatever, her very first time she ever sent anything in, which I stopped watching the show then, just to be clear, because I was like, uh-huh. oh, fuck you. And <laughs> that's totally unrealistic, and I don't want to watch it. But he's, you know, he's struggling. He's got his book, but he's writing about his family. It's So that's, it's very meta in that way. But there's a lot of cute moments, and... He's got, like, one brother who's gotten rich from not necessarily great means, like, not necessarily fully ethical. Okay. But, and he's just been divorced, and he has a child, and so that's kind of his character. And then Topher Grace is, he's a writer, and he's married to a Latina woman, and her dad was just in an episode, and it's Cheech. (gasps) Cheech! Oh, my God, I'll watch it for that. But they've got three kids, one a daughter, and then a little kind of toddler set of twins. Oh. And then they've got another sister, and she's married. No. Well, she's at least in a couple. I think they're married, and they have children. Mm -hmm. And a lesbian couple, Mm -hmm. and her wife is, or slash girlfriend, is black. And so they have all these things that they can work into the show, which is why point these things out isn't one of the one of these family units sort of poor <laughs> the writer is not I, and i so don't mean that actually in, there's the one that's rich and then right. the two women aren't rich but it's not like poverty right but there's but, like one well-to-do one in the middle and one kind of on the lower end yeah the wife goes to his wife ends up having to go back to work because he can't support them as a writer I, and so he's borrowed money from the brother and stuff like that. Oh, that's always a good time. So that, I imagine that would be him. But yes, yeah, she's actually a lawyer. So she goes back to oh. work in there and they're doing okay, but she's not like, they, I think that in TV shows, if you have a lawyer, it's automatically assumed they're rich or something. And that's just not how it works. I know real life lawyers, they're not rich. You have to be a certain kind of lawyer and a certain kind of fame to reach that point, I think. Much like a writer. Yes. <laughs> that always gets shown as instant success and here's your $200,000 yes. forward and in one month you've earned this out and so now you're getting heavy money. And there's a lot of debt to becoming a lawyer. Yeah. And it's a I, lot of schooling and they, testing. And, yeah. And I believe lately in the last few years they've been saying there are there's a glut. There are too many lawyers. That's funny. Well, because we go through these things and there's, oh, we need, 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 need. And right now, or actually the last I saw before the pandemic was we need, 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 need nurses. Yes. And then now it's we need, 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 need service workers. These things pop up and it's like, am I the asshole Reddits and stuff like that? Oh, and- I get sucked into that rabbit hole <sighs> all the time. I read one that you would have loved. It was a little <laughs> girl who, and I won't go into her whole story. This is a little girl. Let's say she was about eight years old, I believe. Did not like to be touched. Mm-hmm. She was not a huggy kid. There were reasons. And her family respected that. Oh. And her family took her to therapy. 
And she was told, nobody gets to touch you unless you want them to. Mm -hmm. You don't have to accept hugs unless you want to. So she had her little core. I mean, her mom and her, I think her sister, maybe her. So what happened was her brother was like 10 or 12 years older than she was. And his soon-to-be mother-in-law saw pictures of this little girl. Well, apparently she was adorable. She had big green eyes and blonde hair and cleaned up nice. Although apparently she was the kid who'd be walking around carrying dead things if you... (laughs) So, this future mother-in-law keeps saying, oh, I can't wait to meet her. I'm going to give her such a big hug. She's so sweet. Everybody told her not to. I mean... The child's grandparents. Yes, but in my experience, there are people who do not care if you don't like to be touched because they like to touch and therefore their rights yes. procedures and you're the odd one out because you don't like physical contact. So day of the wedding. Yep. This woman sees this little girl and she busts out of the crowd to people yelling at her, no, don't do it. The girl herself yelling, no. Mm-mm. Little girl pulls back both little bony hands. And as the woman gets closer, just full force punches her in the boobs. Yes, girl. Knocks her on her ass. And they were all like, well, we told you. We told you not to touch her. The girl did not get in any... Her family supported her. I'm like, I love that story because... Because her family supported her. Because her family supported her. Yeah. And I was like, bitch. I don't (laughs) understand why bodily autonomy means so little to people. And again, even if they're for it on a larger spectrum, say politically... They, it's completely out of their heads that when they're actually dealing with a human being that doesn't like to be touched. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing, folks. Every time I go to a writer's conference, every time I go to any sort of gathering, it's going to happen. because And they know, and they don't respect my wishes. That's why one of our mutual friends is so respectful about it, and I love it. <laughs> he was a guest on the show. Yes. So, I, and I, well, yeah. a couple of them were, but... And I... I I am a fairly huggy person. There's so many other people that will hug them, though. Why do you have to force it on the person who doesn't like it? I became more aware of it as an issue when I was pregnant. Because Mm. fucking strangers touching my belly. I'm like, you're going to get 200 pounds of angry woman right up your ass if you ever touch me. (laughs) See, I did not have a big problem with that. My resting bitch face must have been amplified (laughs) when I was pregnant. Because for the most part, people did not try to touch Probably they would have gotten their hand bitten off. I didn't have tons, but one was there was a social gathering. The place I worked was having some kind of gathering and I went, I think Joe was going to meet me there. And I'm talking to a guy I work with, no problem. And he, this, he had been talking to someone else he knew and he goes, oh, MB, this is so-and-so, so-and-so, this is, I work with MB. And the guy doesn't say hello, doesn't shake my hand, reaches out and rubs my belly. Mm -mm. And I was like, what the fuck are you doing? Don't fucking touch me. And the guy I work with was just like, oh my God, what are you, are you, if you lost your mind to the guy, <laughs> yeah. it's like, you can't just touch somebody you don't know. But it's so weird that, yeah, that is broken down even further when you're pregnant, like for the most part. Oh, just everybody's got a touch thing. Listen, I touch textures. At least I'm touching things that are walls <laughs> and inanimate <laughs> objects that I can't help but touch. But apparently people can't help but touch other people. <laughs> Mine is more respectful. <laughs> it is. Yeah. So, so I guess it's time to start. I guess it is time to start. After that rant. <laughs> People are like, 
What is wrong with them? What is happening? Don't touch me. That's what's wrong with me. So, <laughs> just don't touch her. We'll all be fine. It's fine. If you're thinking of starting a podcast or even just starting to research it, Buzzsprout is your go-to source for information and hosting. They have tons of videos and write-ups on everything you need to know about recording and distributing a podcast. And they even provide easy ways to get analytics on how your podcast is doing. We use Buzzsprout for our podcast hosting and through them, we've been able to connect with tons of resources and distributors. Following the link in the show notes, lets Buzzsprout know we sent you. Gets you a $20 Amazon gift card if you sign up for a paid plan and help support our show. A win-win. Not only do they help you get started, but they also do small things to encourage you, such as awarding you badges as you hit various milestones. Join over 100,000 podcasters already using Buzzsprout to get their message out to the world. So I am going to talk about the Allagash, and I'm probably butchering that, abductions. (laughs) You know. Because sometimes you just need a break from murder. (laughs) Sometimes. And stabbings. And last week was stabbing. Okay, well, sorry. (laughs) You can do sorry, it. Sorry. Sometimes, um, <laughs> sometimes I need a break. Okay. That's why I typically do, but they already know this. I typically do lighter stuff. So my sources were only in your state, the website. Mm-hmm. This one is from Maine. The Bangor Daily News. Fiddlehead Focus, which I think is a newspaper. So in August of 1976. So we're going back a little ways, but not too far. We're going back to the era of really bad clothing. I wasn't even conceived, just barely not conceived yet. So, August of 1976, <laughs> the country's winding down from the bicentennial. Which you wouldn't remember. Sounds very dramatic, though. It was. <laughs> you know, it was a big, the 4th of July was a big fucking deal that year. Sidebar, I later in life had the great misfortune to work on a research project in graduate school about how the bicentennial was celebrated. And they'd waited like five years after the bicentennial to do the research, and then waited another five years to have some unfortunate student wade through it. Great. But anyway, back to August of 1976. (laughs) In northern Maine, and I'm talking so far north that there's a lot of... It's Canada. It is. There's Canada's I looked at Maine on a map just (laughs) two days ago, because you know I've been wanting to go there and visit, and I was like, it's practically Canada. It is. It's surrounded by Canada on three sides. Yeah. In northern Maine is the Allagash Wilderness Area. So it's a very remote wilderness area with a 92-mile-long waterway. And it's a big place for canoeing and boating and fishing. So four men went into the woods for a two-week camping trip. And it was Chuck Rack, Charlie Foltz, and twin brothers Jack and Jim uh, Weiner. They were all students at the Massachusetts College of Art and Design. And one of them, I want to say Charlie, I, it didn't, I could not find their ages, but I think Charlie was a little bit older because it made mention at some point that he had been in the service. I can't remember if it was, I think it was the Navy, the Army or the Navy. Anyway, one night about, about the halfway mark, maybe a day or two more into the trip, they're out on the water at night. They're night fishing. Chuck Rack said, I had an uncomfortable feeling of being stared at. I turned around and saw this very, very bright globe of light in the sky. And the light seemed to track them and then it disappeared. Mm -hmm. So the next day, I don't think they saw out a ranger, but the next day they crossed paths with a ranger. So they reported the sighting. The ranger said, 
It was coming from a searchlight from the grand opening of a hardware store in, please, I hope this is right, Millinocket. <laughs> please. It's Maine. Um, a town about 75 miles away because they'd had a pickup truck with a big searchlight in the back. But he didn't offer any explanation why they'd be using the searchlight at 9 o'clock at night mm-hmm. from 75 miles away. So, two nights later, they're night fishing again, and it comes back. And they said it was a sphere of colored light that kind of, the lights changed and mm-hmm. bled together. And it was hovering 200 to 300 feet above the water. They said it was as big as a house, maybe 80 feet in diameter. So, Charlie... This was where they said, Charlie, who had been in the army, picked up a flat. And I'm like, I don't know. He could have been in the Boy Scouts and done the same action. But what he did was he picked up a flashlight and aimed it at this thing and flashed an SOS in Morse code. Mm -hmm. So the vessel responded by immediately drawing closer and shining a light down on the water as though searching for them, a moving cone of light. So they were spooked and headed immediately toward shore. Now, here's how spooked they were. You can picture this. Two of the men are using paddles, and the other two are paddling with their, their hands. hands. <laughs> They're like, oh, fuck. It, it's, it, it's answering us. It saw us. None of them can remember going back to the shore. They can just remember being back on the shore exhausted with no memory of how they got there and the bonfire that they had built so they can maneuver back had completely burned down to coals. Hmm. So the light never returned and the men did mention it to friends and family when they got home. It was just sort of one of those, Hey, this weird thing happened. Now they didn't make friends with anyone in a bathroom, but (laughs) (laughs) you know, but as one does don't, well, I know. That's why you take me. Not so, in bathrooms. So I can make friends for you. No, no. Guys don't. You're, don't look. Don't talk. <laughs> That's true. That's very true. <laughs> That's the rule. Yeah. So anyway, 12 years go by. In 1988, two of the men begin having terrible nightmares, which both include scenes of four naked, terrified men sitting on a bench. I find that terrifying. Um, Chuck Rack <laughs> says that... Unexpected nudity. <laughs> right? Now, Chuck Rack later said that it was after Jim Weiner had a traumatic fall and started suffering seizures. That's when he reported visions of humanoids hovering above his bed and poking him with needles. So, it's unclear. But after Jim went to a... After investigating this, he went to a UFO expert, Ray Fowler... Mm-hmm. I've like you know I've the, actually heard that name. Yeah. It, he's a big he's written a lot of books. Okay. They it went to him for he went to him for help and he asked the other four men to come in and talk to this guy and would they undergo hypnosis? And they all agreed. Now they went underwent um regressive hip, hypnosis sessions and they were all done in separate sessions. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't a big group thing, they weren't all together. They remembered being in a dark tube surrounded by motes of colored lights they described thin some said spidery creatures with big bug eyes in jumpsuits all the men were naked when this happened and they felt zombie-like unable to act on their own or communicate with each other or help each other Mm -hmm. the examiners issued commands telepathically and the men's bodies were poked prodded and twisted it said sometimes in a painful manner twisted yes Purple nurples. 
<laughs> but they, it, it, it said in one, the guy observed them touching. I, I think it was one of the guys said he saw the creatures touching his brother and they touched his, his chest, his genitals, his leg hair and his toes. And I was just his like, leg hair. his leg that's hair. And I'm like, yeah, that's an oddly specific thing to A, examine and B, notice. But you know, the aliens are always hairless. So I could see them being fascinated by body hair, right? Th- true. Apparently the feet, too. Uh, I don't know why. So, when the examinations ended... Oh, and one of them described having something metal put on his chest. Mm-hmm. Like, some kind of device. But it that... Mm-hmm. A couple people referred to have that metal device being put on him. One of them described it as looking like the um, Sydney Opera House. I mean, sm- obviously. <laughs> much smaller. Oh. But. Like the Sydney Opera House as a toaster. Okay. (laughs) That size. So um, anyway, when the examinations ended, they went back through the portal to their canoe, which then moved to the shore under its own volition. Okay. For what it's worth, they did all the men later passed polygraph exams. Hmm. Is this the one that a movie was made about? With D.B. Sweeney, or is that a different one? I think that's a different one. So three of the men report have having had other alien encounters in their lives. Now, these sound more like ghosts than aliens to me, but Chuck Rag remembers a frightening presence in his room when he was a child. I'm like, that's a ghost. (laughs) The brothers claimed their childhood bedroom was visited by a presence that they called Harry the ghost. (laughs) And Jack said he and his wife saw a UFO in the early 80s while driving a back road in Vermont. Okay. So that one, that not a like ghost. UFOs. That sounds like a UFO. I mean, if you were a kid, though, you've heard about ghosts, but you maybe haven't heard about... I mean, now you have, because it's a big thing. But, True. But maybe you haven't heard about an alien to compare it. Perhaps. Oh. Perhaps. I'm throwing them a bone. So, um, when the Bangor, Bangor Daily News article came out in 1988, this, so the dates are a little bit important to this story. Chuck Rack said he was having doubts about what happened. He believed they all saw the craft, but wondered if his memories of the abduction were a product of pre-hypnosis suggestion. When he, he was later interviewed in 2016, and his story changed again. Hmm. So after the story broke, the four men appeared on Unsolved Mysteries. They also appeared on The Joan Rivers Show. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and there was talk about a movie being made. And they were, they were hoping they were going to cash in on this and get a little cash out of it. Rack contends that he went along for the ride because he wanted the money. But after the men had a falling out, he began disputing everything in public, saying it never happened despite the other men sticking to their story. Now, one of his points is about the fire. He said the wood was very small, very thin, very dry, like three inches in diameter. It would have burned very quickly. So he's like, that doesn't prove anything. Foltz remembers it differently, saying that some of the logs they used were as big around as his leg. Hmm. So, who knows? I mean, you'd think that they would, if they intended it to be able to find their way back, right? So they would After have fishing, built up. So they big, would have built something big. Yeah, one would think. Rack also contends that they were stoned. One of the guys brought something called Afghan Temple Ball. Oh. So I had to look that up because I'm like, what the fuck? It's hash. It's hashish. Hashish? It's hashish. Okay. Which they shared before they started night fishing. 
He claims that when Joan Rivers asked them on TV if they had been drinking or taking drugs, he felt really guilty about lying and saying no. But he was sitting at the end, and so he was very happy that the man sitting next to her was the one who was lying. And I do want to point out, right now people are like, so you were smoking pot? Who gives a shit? It was a much bigger deal back then. Okay. To be smoking hash or to be smoking pot. Bolt says the most they had with them was some beer, half of which they didn't even drink. It was like they had a 12-pack and carried half of it back out. I feel like so that was the 70s, right? I mean, 60s yep. was the big pot era. Was yeah. the 70s not. But these guys don't seem like the type. I mean, they weren't hippie types. They were fisher guys. They well, were guy guys, it sounds like. I, I don't know. I mean, I don't find it impossible to believe that they were smoking pot. No, but no, no. I'm just saying that maybe that would strike people different. Yes. Than, say, this long-haired hippy-dippy. Yes. Right? I mean, yeah. people are like, of course they're smoking pot. Because <gasps> stereotypes. Yes. Uh-huh. Aren't they wonderful? No. So, <laughs> Foltz described Rack as a man with a violent temper who had been banned from some UFO conventions. And he said, we definitely steer steer clear of him because the guy is a loose cannon and a mental disaster area. Hmm. Now, here's the thing. The two brothers, the twin brothers, are backing Foltz. After the Joan Rivers interview, Jim Weiner claims Rack came up to the other three. They had gotten together. They were already kind of leery of him because he was not making a lot of sense. He came to them with a plan to make big money. He wanted them to refute all the work done by Ray Fowler and the Mutual UFO Network because he thought if they created controversy, they would get more exposure and somebody would want to make a movie and they would make more money if they refuted everything and made it turned it into a big controversy. Gotcha. Like Amityville. Yes. But the other men wouldn't go along with him. They're like, nope, this is what happened. This is our story. Mm-hmm. This, we're Which not, makes sense, because you know, if you go back on it, then you just look like a lunatic and an idiot. An idiot. Yes. Yeah. When the paper asked to interview Ray Fowler, he initially agreed, and then later said he wouldn't take part if Chuck Rack did. So he talked to the interviewer in an email, and he confirmed that Rack did not have a very detailed recall of the abduction back way back when they did the hypnosis originally. And it wasn't the fact that he had been abducted, if in fact he was. It was the fact that he couldn't remember the details, that he didn't have any control over it. He said that he said that Rack had a real issue with control. Mm. And so it was the fact that he couldn't remember it and couldn't control it. And there was too much of a feeling of not being in control in the situation. And so they've all... So yeah, those three men, and of course Ray Fowler... And I apologize, I did not write down the name of the hypnotist. But they all are sticking to their story. Now, of course, there are a lot of people who say it never could have happened. There are a lot of people who say, I absolutely believe it happened. There's no proof. I don't know if there's a way to prove. But there's no proof that it didn't happen. So when you're talking to people who possibly committed a crime, it's if their stories are consistent, that's a good sign that they're telling the truth. Yes. Because... When you're lying, there will be inconsistencies because you forget your lies. Yes. So, I mean, just throw that out there. Yeah. So, it's they. the three of them still say, yes, it happened. Chuck Rapp will say, yes, I think we saw something, but that was the extent of it. 
we were high, it didn't really happen. And people still on people still get on Reddit and argue about it. Oh my god, this is such bullshit. Oh my god, this absolutely happened. And it was interesting because somebody brought up on Reddit, what a rabbit hole. Well, you notice that with the advent of cell phones, the reporting of UFOs has declined. But has it? It hasn't. No, it just doesn't make news like it used to. Somebody else came back and said, well... You need to take into consideration. And this guy had documents. He was like, "Here, this here's the U.S. Here's the government report, and here's the Air Force report." Yeah, when and, I did the one of the yeah. over on the West Coast, exactly, the, there was Air Force documentation, and yep. sir, was it sir? I don't remember the organization yeah. that I was quoting was showing how frequent reports are coming in. And cell phones are designed for up close. They're yeah. designed for selfies. What happens? We've all done it. We've all seen a pretty moon and gone, oh, I'm going to take a picture. And it, and it looks like it's a blur. It's a weird, bright blur in the back of the photo. Yeah. Or it looks like, you know, an odd mole or it just yeah. isn't. So it was so funny, though, that guy came back so fast. No, you're wrong. And here are the facts. And here's here's my backup. Because documentation report. So, yeah. But yeah. I just thought it was. I just thought it was interesting because I had never heard of this one. Not that I'm a big, not, not that I'm big into the UFO community, but I was just like, and I don't know why. I was like, what are some odd, what's some weird shit that goes down in Maine? There's plenty, <laughs> but I decided there are a couple of disappearances I really wanted to, because one was like the dingo one in the dingo ate my baby. That yeah. woman. It was very similar to that. This little boy just disappeared Disappeared. from and it was the family was camping Mm. and it was um i don't know don't give it away maybe you should do it in the future i probably won't because i don't like doing ones with children oh okay Uh, but the dad went to cut wood and the mom went to like rinse something off in the creek and the sister was playing and i think the little boy started to ride his tricycle after the dad Mm -hmm. well mom comes back she hasn't gone i mean we're talking like 10 minutes right Mom comes back. She thinks he's gone with his dad. Little sister didn't see him leave. So it isn't till the dad gets back that mom's like, well, where's Junior? And he's like, what do you mean, where's Junior? I left him with you. So, and they never, I didn't fully investigate that. When that article was written, they hadn't found, they never found him. Mm. Yucky. Yeah. So, yeah. Yaha. Oh, sorry. I've been trying to remember what the D.B. Sweeney one was called. It was Fire was in the title. And it was, you know, four guys in their pickup truck or whatever. So, but I can't for the life of me remember it or where it was. <laughs> I mean, rural somewhere. <laughs> There's rural everywhere. Yep. All right. So I'm doing, I've got a little bit of the, the supernatural mm-hmm. and a, <laughs> sort of, and some mayhem and some attempted murder. So here we go. You've got it all. I do. I'm doing Slenderman. Slenderman and the attack on Peyton Leitner. And I did look up her name and listen to videos because everybody pronounces their names weird in Wisconsin, apparently. Okay. <laughs> Just mostly kidding. Okay. We love so- you, Wisconsin. <laughs> Wisconsin. We love. Aww. It's the beginning of the 70s show. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> okay. Sources. Wikipedia, Creepypasta, Slenderman, Wiki, NBC News, ABC News, article by Scott Bauer, Bug Space, Oprah Daily. 
So I'll have to give that article if I remember the actual article name by Scott Bauer. Was that it? Okay, something away. Yeah, I didn't know that, but I found huh. it. <laughs> huh? Do yeah. tell. I mean, <laughs> to tell this story, I have to start with the invention of a fictional character that took on a life of its own: digital folklore. Mm-hmm. In June 2009, the Something Awful Internet Forum held a Photoshop contest for paranormal paranormal images. Eric Knudsen, I didn't look up his name, K-N-U-D-S-E-N, yeah, calling himself Knudsen. Victor Surge, uploaded two images and added text. And so that, I mean, they were just images for everybody else. But so he effectively created a piece of fiction with it rather than mm-hmm. just the photo. The images were black and white. They showed an elongated slim figure in a suit. And it was always, it was pictures of like kids where he just kind of inserted this, right? Ooh. Very creepy. The captions read on the first one, we didn't want to go. We didn't want to kill them. But it's persistent silence and outstretched arms horrified and comforted us at the same time. 1983, photographer unknown, presumed dead. And Ooh. see, it's very effective. Like if you think yeah. about one sentence horror, right? Wow. Really good. I was like, is this guy going on to like write some shit? Mm-hmm. Not as far as I know. Second one read, one of two recovered photographs from the Sterling City Library blaze, notable for being taken the day 14 children vanished and for what is referred to as the Slender Man. Deformity cited as film defects by officials. Fire at library occurred one week later. Actual photograph confiscated as evidence. 1986, photographer Mary Thomas, missing since June 13th, 1986. I mean, he did an excellent job. Mm-hmm. As a horror author, I'm like, good on you, dude. And to take these images of kids and then just insert this figure. Very good. Okay. Appreciation finished. These images took off. So they became the subject of creepy pasta entries and even cosplay. It became a whole mythos. And it went viral. And the thing is, all these people were collectively adding to it. And they would share it and add their little bit to it. And so it became this universal thing, right? I was hearing about Slender Man. I'm, I remember all of this happening. Since then, it has inspired movies. Mm-hmm. And the movie wasn't great. Video games and various written words of fiction. Crazily, of course, there are people who think he is a real being still and are unaware of his origins. And a lot of people, they may know that he's supposed to be fictional, but they don't know how he was created or anything. A lot of people just think he's actual folklore that's been around for a long time. He really got ingrained into people's brains, which is who, what author doesn't want that to happen? Right? The Creepypasta Wiki defines him as a tall man with long arms and legs. Some say he has black tentacles coming out of his back, which I didn't even know that aspect. Hmm. Others disagree, so it's generally stated that he can pull them in or put them out. That's their, that's their, let's meet halfway. Some say he has tentacled fingers or tentacles that can come out of his fingers. He's faceless or it's a blur and pale. And some say that different people see different faces He wears a black suit with a white shirt, often with a tie. The tie might be gray, black, or red. His shoes are black and shiny, and he sometimes wears a hat. And it's sometimes a top hat, sometimes a bowler, sometimes a fedora, but it's that kind of dressy type of hat. No one knows what he does with his victims, but he's known to be connected to suburban woods most often. He's mostly known for kidnapping children. Their bodies are never found. Nobody knows what he actually does with them, just that they disappear. I'm betting this is what they based that um, Buffy the Vampire Slayer episode on, the silence. I believe 
Now, see, we'd have to look at the years, but I thought that it was mentioned, that was mentioned, and I don't remember if it inspired, it was an inspiration for when, him or vice versa. When did 2009 this... is when it was Oh, invented. no, because Bu- Buffy would have come first. Okay. So, wow. yeah, so it was inspiration. He, ha- he cited a bunch of inspirations. Because not the faceless part, but the children, the suburban woods. The floaty, drifty. The flo- yeah, and the dressed up and the bowler hat. Yeah. Okay. Wow. So that went like H.P. Lovecraft was a big mm-hmm. inspiration. I think he took inspiration from Creatures in the Mist by Stephen King or something. It, it was a whole list and he just thought it up. So anyway, sometimes he floats or he kind of drifts mm-hmm. instead of walking. Photographic evidence usually shows him near children or in their company. And of course, they later disappear. Sightings have claimed he stares in windows and hovers on secluded roads to frighten drivers and make them stop. Two 12-year-old girls took the lore so seriously that they attacked their friend, claiming to be in Slenderman's service. So that's what we're going to talk about next. Mm-hmm. Peyton Leitner, and that is spelled A-L-E-U-T-N-E-R. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Leitner. <laughs> and Morgan Geyser became friends in fourth grade when Peyton approached Morgan, who was sitting alone. Peyton was the type, she was, she, she was Morgan's first real friend. They were close for quite some time, and Morgan actually had a nickname for her. She called her Bella. And that's how she would refer to her in court years later. In sixth grade, a third girl entered the friendship, Anissa Wire. And she quickly bonded with Morgan, and the two became obsessed with Slenderman. Now, Peyton never really got into the Slenderman thing, but she kind of went along with it so that she wouldn't get left out. And we know, like, this is a classic three girls trio. One of them is always going to be left out. Yep. Well, that person is the one who had originally friended Morgan and been friends with her for two years already when Anissa came in. The night of Morgan's birthday party, Anissa and Peyton went to her house in Waukesha, I was calling it Waukesha, it's Waukesha, Wisconsin, for a sleepover. Instead of staying up all night like usual, Morgan said she wanted to sleep. She had already actually told Anissa that once Peyton fell asleep, they would duct tape her mouth and they would kill her. But they were too tired and probably they chickened out, so they went to sleep instead. The next day they get up, May 31st, 2014, the girls walk to David's Park together. They stopped at a park bathroom where they figured there would be a drain for the blood. They had. They thought that far ahead. Oh. It wasn't just. Just wait. You'll see how long, oh far God. ahead they thought. They were like, in there, there'll be a drain. How all old right. were the girls? Twelve. Okay. All three. Okay. They argued about which one would kill Peyton, but they both chickened out in there. And I saw one report that said that Anissa kind of tried to shove over Peyton, but Peyton fought back. And then, like, they kind of resolved it. You know, this will happen when girls are in outings, too. I've Mm -hmm. seen it. I've been part of it. And so she kind of stayed and went along with them. So they say, well, let's go into the woods and play hide and seek. So she told her mother later that she sensed there was something going on. Like, she was starting to feel real nervous around her friends. But what 12-year-old goes, my friends are going to attack me? They don't. She's just, like, she just had a bad feeling. She didn't really want to go. And they kind of had to shove her and, like, pull her into the woods. So they forced her into the woods. Anissa and So Morgan was the first one to go and count. And Anissa tells Peyton, lie down. I'll cover you with leaves and sticks. Okay? And then you can hide under there. So as soon as Peyton's down, Anissa sits on top of her and she keeps her track trapped so that Morgan can stab her. And Peyton is saying, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. And Anissa's ignoring her and Morgan comes along and Morgan's like, well, what should I do? And their stories differ, whether Anissa handed Morgan the knife 
or Morgan already had the knife in her belt and showed it to Anissa. So each of them had a different story okay. about who of had course. the knife. Of course. But they both agreed that Anissa said something along the lines of just go crazy on her. Okay. They both agreed on that. And I'm going to, I'm pointing that out because I want to revisit. So while Anissa keeps her pen to the ground, Morgan stabs her 19 times with a five inch kitchen knife that they had brought with them. Whoever brought it. So Peyton did try to get up afterwards and they said, well, lie down and the bleeding will slow down and we're going to go get you help. So then they take off and as of they said in their confession, no, we weren't going back. Or Anissa said, we, we weren't going to get help. We yeah. were going to leave her so she would die. Bitches. Yeah. Instead, Peyton, she starts crawling and she is, she's, you know, bleeding. She's hurt. <laughs> I'll go over the injuries in a moment. And she gets to a bike path. She's soul sister to the woman I talked about last. Yes, I was actually thinking about it. Because for people who don't know, we come and we each have our two stories because we record two episodes. And we're like, all right, which one should we pair together? What should we do first? That's why we try and end with a happy MB1. And we could have paired paired these stories in so many ways. Yes. Yeah. So anyway, she makes it to a bicycle path. And Greg Steinberg is bicycling. And he sees her lying in the grass over here. And he gets her some water. He calls 911. You can actually listen to that on so on Of course, there. they immediately suspected him. Actually, they never no. showed that there was a suspicion because here's the thing. She she was, oh, she was well conscious. able to tell them right. who did it. Okay. And he's, he's nice and pretty calm on the recording. And you can hear him talking to her. Honey, they're coming to help you, you know, the whole time. Anyway, police get there. She tells them who did it as they're wheeling her away. And... They go looking for these girls where the girls had taken off walking along Interstate 94 and interstate. They went, they made it 4.9 miles. Wow. And five hours they walked from the scene of the stabbing before police were able to find, they were near a furniture store when they were found. They had not gotten rid of the knife. Instead, they just put it in a backpack that they had when they were apprehended they said they were on their way to Slenderman's mansion in the Nicolay Forest to become his servants. Their bags were full of snacks and water for their journey. One of them had a family, a picture of her family because they were going to live with the Slenderman. It never said which one that was. Anissa felt bad about the stabbing, she said, but Morgan didn't feel bad about it. She was very matter of fact. And when you listen, listen to her questioning, Anissa's a little more emotional. Morgan is just, well, I might as well tell you. We went there to kill her. I mean, she's just there laying it out. How horrifying. Well, I learned something about her that I never heard in all these stories, and it'll make a little more sense, actually. But anyway, both girls thought their families would be killed if they didn't kill Peyton. They convinced themselves that he was going to come after them. They both said it was the other one who said Peyton had to be killed like she was Uh the target. Morgan, when she's talking, says, well, I didn't want to kill her, but I had to, you know? They had been planning this for six months. Oh, my God. Six months while this little girl thought they were her friends. At the time, Wisconsin allowed minors to be questioned without their parents present. So both were questioned without their parents. Peyton was able to leave the hospital seven days later. The knife had come within a hair's breadth from a major artery and sliced into her diaphragm, liver, and stomach. She'd been stabbed the arms, legs, abdomen, and torso. The surgeon said, and I saw the interview with him, that, and he showed with the heart, and he said, it 
if it had penetrated the artery wall, which it was a hair's breadth away from, it actually like just went right along it. She would have been dead within a minute. She would have had a heart attack. No, she would have had a heart attack and died in a minute. Wow. That was what he said would have happened had that been, been just that little bit over to the side. She actually returned to school in September of a year. Wow. Both girls were evaluated and treated psychiatrically for a couple years before their final charges. Because both of them, in the confessions, neither of them lied other than to point at the other one for various details. But they both said what they were setting out to do. They both said that they had the intention of killing her. They both spoke about Slenderman like a real person the whole time. Anissa was in the county jail for those years. Morgan was in a psychiatric facility, in, and that's where they both would be sentenced to later. Mm-hmm. It was Winnebago something, something. Morgan had to be put on self-harm watch. She did spiral after she was in there and started hurting herself. She told her mom she missed Peyton, and she talked about her all the time. Yeah. In 2017, Wire and Geyser were both charged as adults, with Morgan Geyser getting a Class A felony charge of attempted first-degree homicide, and Anissa Wire, the one who had felt bad about the crime, getting a Class B felony with attempted second-degree homicide because Morgan is the one who wielded the knife. Now, there was also some difference in who took the first stab, though, because it was, I think Morgan said at one point, Anissa had stabbed her once and then given her the knife and said, go wild. Okay. So... Both pleaded guilty, but were found not guilty by mental disease or defect. Both were put in mental hospitals, again, in that Winnebago facility where Morgan was found to be schizophrenic. Ooh. Her father was also schizophrenic and was no longer in the picture. It came out that she also felt she was friends with Harry Potter characters, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. I mean, to her, these people were real. She that had made real... what she was saying make a lot more sense okay. to me. So... They found in her room artwork and mutilated Barbies that like that had like cuts and had the sl- a Slender Man symbol on them that she had. Well, I was gonna say, who doesn't have mutilated Barbies, right? Where so this was further proof of her mental issues. Okay. So from Wikipedia, it was just easier because I was like, I can reword all this, or I can just quote Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> Wire was sentenced to 25 years to life, an indeterminate sentence involving at least three locked confinement and involuntary treatment in a three years locked confinement uh-huh. and involuntary treatment in a state psychiatric institute, followed by communal supervision until age 37. Do you see why I didn't want to just try and reword that? This one's the same. Geyser was given, which is Morgan, was given the maximum sentence, 40 years to life, an indeterminate sentence involving at least three years locked confinement in addition to involuntary treatment in a state psychiatric institute until complete resolution of symptoms or until age 53, whichever may happen first. I got Followed by continued communal supervision, periodic reevaluations, and or reinstitution and further treatment as needed, as required by the sentence imposed. Damn. So Morgan has been presented as the one who led it, as the uh, brain trust behind it, basically. I'm not sure I agree. And I did see there are other people uh, online that don't agree. Yeah, she seemed to be the more disturbed one. She was the one who believed in Slenderman. There are people who have theories that Anissa was jealous of their friendship. And so she she used right. that belief. And just some of the things, she was the first one to push her in the bathroom. She was the one to get her down to tell Morgan to go crazy. To me, that's the person who's masterminding it. Yes. 
planning. But again, yeah. from the sentences, it's clear that Morgan was made the one who masterminded it. So, eh. I have a list. They had a supply list for their their murder and track to the Slender Man that they have. I'll post oh. a picture of that. So, Morgan petitioned to be retried as a juvenile, her attorney claiming that she should have been charged that way to begin with and that she hadn't understood her rights when she spoke to police. She lost the appeal in 2020 because, again, there was no legal issue with the police talking to these girls without their parents. That's just what the law was. The court felt that her confession was secondary to the overwhelming evidence against her, which is why they were like, doesn't matter what she said when she confessed. We had the victim the victim backing told us this what up happened. Yeah. and a bloody knife and a backpack. And, you know, her actions earned the adult charges for both of them. They are charged as adults. Anissa was released in September, 2021. I feel that slipped under the radar because of the pandemic with a requirement to be GPS monitored. So she cannot leave her County. That GPS monitor also keeps her from going near David's park where they committed the crime or near uh, Peyton or her family. And yeah, Smart, who we talked about a few episodes ago, still in jail. Yeah. 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 She must live with her father until probation is done, which would be until she's 37. She must continue with medication for PTSD, anxiety, and a personality disorder. I'm like, she got PTSD from trying to murder somebody? Give me a break. But, okay, plus continue with counseling. She will have monitored internet use that must exclude any social media. And she's only allowed to use the internet in her home where the county is monitoring it. Mm -hmm. And, again, she cannot contact anybody in the Leitner family in any way. She cannot go into a bar, consume alcohol or drugs, or own a weapon. So full probation for this time period. Peyton Leitner was a sophomore at college when Anissa was released. After the attack, she slept with scissors under her pillow out of fear. Her scars, 25, because 19 stabbings plus, she's had to have multiple, you know, like surgeries to save her life and all this. That's added six scars. And some of these are on her legs and arms. So her mom pointed out she was like, she couldn't even go to a swim party, for example. Because. Without being on display and being reminded what had happened to her. And three years after the attack, during a interview with the mom the mom was like she's still they still sting they're red the scars they're yes and so it was miserable she was like she must feel this all the time and see this all the time so okay well when you think about it she's still growing yeah so that skin oh yeah Eric Knudsen released a statement following the stabbing. I am deeply saddened by the tragedy in Wisconsin. My heart goes out to the families of those affected by this terrible act. He refused to be further questioned at that point because, of course, the blame was flowing. Uh, Um, The uh creepypasta community to show that even though they enjoy horror and this creature that they had created, they wanted to show that they were still empathetic. They raised money for Peyton. The local community raised money for her. So there was a lot of alarmism after the event, various figures attacking creepypasta, various forms of media, horror in general, as happens. I'm bored by that, so I'm going to skip to something else. More interesting to me is the fact that many folklore experts have come forward to say that Slenderman has now become bona fide folklore by meeting the requirements, which are collectivity, which is when the lore is created by many people, 
variability, where each teller changes the story, and performance, where the telling adjusts according to its listeners and their reactions. It is actual true folklore now. These aspects were specifically laid out by Shira Chess, but other experts agreed and used similar benchmarks. So there are benchmarks for what makes wow. folklore. The short version is that we watch digital folklore forming right before our eyes. And I find that personally fascinating that we can still in this digital age, like create something that becomes the story that becomes truth to people, mm -hmm. which of course can be argued that that's dangerous, but we've been doing that always, I, always. Yeah. That's how we have fairy tales. That's how we have stories about the hitchhiker, the phantom hitchhiker, yep. and all of that stuff. The tooth fairy. Right. So, I mean, I this mean, is what we do. We create yeah. these. And it's just maybe happening faster. And it's we're better able to see it as it happens. Yeah. Yeah. But... So, I will post a couple YouTube videos. There's girls' confessions in part on these where they're actually those initial interviews that you mm -hmm. can watch so that you can see. I will say it's, it's, it's hard to watch, especially if you're a mom of little girls in any way, mm -hmm. because you're looking at two 12 year olds. And then when they got to court, they were 14, 15. And you're watching these little girls in court yeah. talk about trying to kill their friend and just so earnest. And it's, I was telling my husband, I'm like, I I'm not jealous of having to sit in a court and look at a little girl who looks so innocent and try to decide what to do with the rest of her life because of this thing she did. And there's a part of me that thinks that at least Morgan's charges are kind of harsh, which is not to say she didn't deserve some serious stuff, but she's schizophrenic, which means she can seek treatment for it. Medication. She mm -hmm. could be, she could also be observed. And again, I still am not positive. They, nothing Nobody had anything convincing for me to see, but it's not like I read court transcripts that Morgan was the one spearheading it and Anissa wasn't just a really good liar. Now, is Morgan in there without possibility of parole or is there a possibility of parole? No matter what happened, she's in there for until she's 53. Okay. So that's her entire life. 12 to 53. And that's why I'm saying because it's a mental illness thing, mm -hmm. is that fully fair? If it's a treatable thing, is that fully fair? Because Anissa was also being treated for mental stuff. And right. she she's released statements disorder. apologizing. Yes, which they didn't go further into. Mm -hmm. And so if she can be treated and released, why cannot Morgan be treated right. and released when she also has a mother she could be released to? So I'm just, I'm, I'm curious if there's something far more compelling that isn't conveyed in what is out there about whether she really was spearheading this or whether it's just purely that because of her schizophrenia, they feel she's a danger to herself and other people. I have no idea. It just seems like 12 to 53 means there is no life. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, there's, yeah. But <laughs> to be clear, Peyton Leitner has a right to feel safe. Oh, definitely. And if I were her, frankly, I wouldn't feel safe with Anissa living in that town. Mm -mm. I watched interviews with the parents. I watched quite a few things with this just to get more information and to have a feel for it. And, you know, it's hard. I'm, again, not jealous of either set of parents. No. I wouldn't want to be the parents whose daughter thought, thought this girl was her best friend and the other one was her friend. And they tried to kill her brutally. 
to be clear, I'm not excusing anything they did by far. I'm just asking about what the best treatment for somebody who's schizophrenic and does something like this is. Yes. I don't know. I think it's a, it's a moral gray line. Right. But it's also hard to be the parent of a child who did this because they're both said the mom, the birthday party was at Morgan's house and the mom was like, they're running around and giggling and playing and having cake. And there's pictures of them and they went skating and they, yeah, all this stuff. And she was like, there was no sign. Both parents said there was no sign that anything was wrong. Morgan's mom had no idea her daughter was schizophrenic. And when she talked to her daughter, why didn't you tell me you were seeing things or that you were doing this? And her daughter said, cause you would have done something about it. Well, also, if she had been that way for a long time, and I don't know anything about schizophrenia. I don't either. So if this had come on to her gradually. Yeah, I don't know if it gets worse with age. How did she know it wasn't normal? We did because this this was a. And she was an only child. So it's not like there's a comparison. Right. But I mean, have you ever sat down and asked your children, are you hearing voices? Right. You or, don't do that. Or do you see things or do you think this fictional, my daughter is autistic. She thinks, like, she's never thought they were real, real, I don't think. She's told me she chooses to believe in something, right? So she's making different. that conscious choice. Yeah. But, like, she gets hooked on one thing and then she moves to another thing. And, you know, it was Harry Potter for a while. Yeah. And it was a certain manga series and stuff like that. And that's actually very common with girls. They like horses for X amount of time. Then they're into yep. this. Then they all want to be hairdressers and they cut somebody's hair. Or they're all, you know, <laughs> there's a lot of that that's common. So even if you saw it now, I don't think she knew about the butchered Barbie dolls. But again, that happens. It's, I, you know, yeah. so I don't know what signs there would have been for her to see unless Morgan had come and said, I'm thinking about killing my friend for Slenderman. Then I bet she would have been concerned. Uh, yeah. Or, you know, or if she had been talking to her mom, you know, I've heard Slenderman is hiring. I'm going to go apply. Right. I, I, or however. And okay. If, if Michelangelo, the turtle is up in my room and I'm going to go chill with him. Calavunga, you know, like, and how did they, yeah. How did they, I, I, that's I don't what, know what my daughter talks to her friends about. Ah, but All the time, you know? What hangs me up is they were going to go work in Slenderman's cat. Didn't they call it a castle? They were going to live in his castle. So, er, mansion in the woods. They were going to live in his mansion in the woods. How would, were they supposed to be communicating with him? I mean, did What's it- the thing? One of them was claiming to communicate. And that, again, is my question. Who? Yeah. Because that's not clear. Who said it must be Peyton? Who said we must kill somebody to kill our fa- save our families? Right. Who said he wants us to be in his service? Who made up those parts? Now, they did get a lot of this from creepypastas that people had written, the mansion. Okay. and the, Oh, okay. Uh, and stuff like that. So I imagine a large part of it came I, from, they picked up from stories. And not only do you not know what your children and their friends are talking about, it's really hard to monitor 100%. Yeah. What they're seeing on the internet. Right. I don't, I don't search my kids' rooms. If I had a very good reason to, then I probably would. If I sensed that there was something dangerous, then I probably would. But to me, those rooms are sacred to them because I was the oldest of five and my room was never sacred. <laughs> and I needed it to be. I needed it to be. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I want to throw... So, I listened to the, all the parents talk, you know, and... Peyton's parents did fight Anissa being freed. They didn't feel Mm -hmm. safe about that. And I get that. Uh, 
there were little things. It's got to be hard to be the parent of the attempted murderer and trying to make a statement where you want to be sticking out for your daughter and you want to be yes. there for your child. And you're, they, you know, they're all admitting there was wrongdoing and they're saying how bad they felt for Peyton, you know, but at the same time, then they say something like the dad of uh, Anissa said, because they said, what would you say if you were to talk to Peyton's parents? Because I don't think any of them ever talked. And he said, I, I would uh, say, I'm so sorry, you know, and he, he's, I get that you're trying to say the right things. And that's very tricky in that situation. He says, but I would also tell them that while they're worried about their daughter, I'm worried about mine too. Yeah. And it's like, that's fair, but I don't think I'd want to hear that as though they're parent. Yes. Like, I don't want you to say that to me because that's going to make me mad. It is. Even though it is fair. Yeah. And then Morgan's mom, of course, is fighting for her. Trying to, she's like, I just, she knows she's not going to experience college and she's not going to experience this or that. And she's in an institution Mm -hmm. for most of the rest of her life. And so she's trying to fight for her. And so she says things that are like, oh, my hackles go up a little bit. Like when the dad said that thing, I was like, as the, if I'm putting myself in the other parent's position, I don't want to hear this shit. Mm -mm. Cause she said, that's what I watched the confession. That's not my daughter. And it's like, but it is, I get what you're saying. That's not the daughter, you know, and that's what any parent's going to say in that situation, unless they've seen it. And so, but, uh, Anissa's mom said something and she was the dad and the mom were being talked to and it says Anise has been released to her dad. Mm-hmm. So I assume that there's been a divorce and it just wasn't, right. I didn't find that publicized, but you know, the dad did most of the talking in the interviews that I saw, but the mom made a point of saying she's, they said, she said, well, I didn't get to say what I would say if I were to talk to her parents. And she said in the interviews and the, the news that they did, Peyton said, all she could say was, I thought Morgan was my friend. And she said, I hope that Peyton has found a real friend. And that one got to me because I was like, that was such a mom thing to say. And that was from the mom of Anissa, you know? And I was like, that's what she's thinking about. That this little girl got crossed by her friend. So, yeah, I wanted to put that out there because I had a lot of respect for her saying that. Because obviously that was in her head. Now that's a thoughtful. That, yes, that one got me. I was like, I... I have mixed feelings about the other parents and the interviews I've watched them. Again, I know it's so complicated and that's, I think they're doing their best. And, but for that to be what she said, that really struck me and I wanted to make a point of saying it. And with a news interview, you could talk for five minutes and they cut it down to two sentences. So you have no idea what else they might've said. Yeah. It's however the news wants you to feel is what they're going to give you. Yeah. So I'm glad they left that in. But that was just, yeah, I was just, I was like, that is such a mom thing to say. It is. I hope she found a real friend, you know, like somebody that actually cares about her because that is terrible. This was her best friend. (sighs) That's just awful. And she planned for six months to kill her. So Yeah, it wasn't even like we've been talking about it this week. Six months. Yeah. It's so hard to hold focus on something for six months. Yeah. And, you know, they kept, it was, no, you do it. No, you do it. And, and then, then, push her then down. it was happening. You push her down. Right. So they, just think how close they came to it not happening just by virtue of chickening out or whatever you yeah. want to call it. But then would it have happened a month later? And what would they have done then? Or what if it, what if they had pushed her down in the yeah place with the drain? Yeah. And could she have gotten out? Could she have crawled out of there? Yeah better lighting there 
could they have stabbed her more accurately? I mean, there's so much. So, but I did want to put in there that she was in college and that she's doing well. I'm sure she still has a lot of mental scars about it. Maybe she doesn't sleep with scissors anymore, but it it would be so hard to trust somebody. Yeah, it would. To be in a relationship, to be in a friendship. That would be so hard. Because those are incredibly formative years. Yes. I mean, trust is hard anyway. Yeah. But to have it smashed like that. Yeah. So the schizophrenia was the thing that was a surprise to me. Mm-hmm. I had never heard that part of it I in all had the never tellings. Heard it either. Yeah. So I mean, and of course, all the telling. It was always drama in the news about like two twelve-year-old girls tried to kill their friend, and that's all you heard for so, Thunderman. Yes. Yeah. So, all right. That one is a little heavier to end on, except it, that Peyton survived. Yes, and that she seems to be doing well. And so last week and this week, we've gotten to talk about survivors. Yeah. I like that. Because we do. We do unsolved stuff and we do murders. And yeah. So every once in a while, it's nice to say. Somebody made somebody it. And they survived. And not only that, they thrived like your gal Sir, said. Yeah, sir thrived. Because I feel like that's what Peyton's doing. Yep. And she was just a little girl when it happened. So good for her. And good for her for crawling for just like with, was it yeah. Amanda? For crawling and getting that help, because had she stayed Melissa, in the woods, she would yeah. have died. Melissa, yes. But yeah. I, yeah, that's just... I mean... I, they saved themselves. Yeah, because think about it. If you've been stabbed and you... In, in the case of Melissa, she was saying, I felt like I was dying. Yeah. Um, a 12-year-old might not be that articulate. They know they're in pain. They might not actually think, oh my God, I'm going to die. I'm going to die, Yeah. But, yeah, they weren't like, well, I'm just going to lay here and die or I'm going to lay here and hope somebody finds me. They were crawling in their own blood. Yeah. To save themselves. That takes a lot. And, like, climb through the woods? That's got to be work. Yeah. That's, you're crawling through the stuff. You're crawling over fallen trees. Yes. Like, that's a lot. And And it would be in your wounds. Yeah. So, I will say Morgan said something that just, ugh. In her confession, she said, well, I just, you know, I was just stabbing and it felt like nothing. It felt like air. Like, that's how easy it felt once she was doing it. So that, that waked me out a bit. I was like, okay, I'm going to save that in my brain. (laughs) I'll think about (laughs) that forever. (laughs) So, yeah, but always props. Not to, not to say that anybody who actually is killed by somebody didn't fight like uh, oh, hell no. or, or do their have, best yeah. or yeah. whatever. But yeah, I always like a story like this. So yes, there's a, there's an old show. I don't know if it's still going called I survived. And I feel like I would watch it if I found it. It's these awful tales, but it's them telling their own stories. That would be hard to watch. And yet, you know, they're okay in the end, which yeah. is so different. <laughs> Cause one of the crime shows I was watching some of them, some of them done it, didn't. And you're watching, you're like, Please survive. <laughs> but even when you watch a story, you know, if it's well done, you find yourself willing them not to die this time. You're like, but they do. Yeah. You already know it. It's the Titanic all over it's, again. And, and it's, for me, what bugs me is if I'm watching a movie, the big, you know how every so often we get big natural disaster movies mm-hmm. or big. I love them. Epic. <laughs> if I, I don't, I like watching them because I always marvel at the effects. 
But the massive sudden loss of life really bothers me. Yeah, because it's done like it's nothing. Yeah. You see a, a school bus or a city bus flipping end over end to land on uh, another school bus. And there's no... And you're like, that was like 50 kids right there that I... just died. And we see a split second of it. And we just yeah. just long enough to go, oh. And then you've moved on to something else. Because the one that always gets me, I don't know why, in, a, in the wrong way, is The Day After Tomorrow mm-hmm. with Dennis Quaid. I love Dennis Quaid. Uh-huh. But that, for some reason, that movie always gets to me. And yet, when I come across it, I Watch keep watching it. it. And the one that's so over the top, was, was it called 2012? Yeah. John, John Cusack. Cusack. Oh my God! With the the ships, the arcs that is so, and the Russians and the little dog, uh-huh. and the, it is so flipping over the top. It's like I still love it. I, I still <laughs> I watch that one when I see it. My thing is in movies that is something, and does that show what we're plied with all the time? I even in just regular action movies or crime movies. What I started noticing when I had siblings become cops was that in most of those types of movies, they'll plow down 30 cops and you don't give a shit. Yeah. You're not meant to give a shit. They were cannon fodder. But again, even when it's not cops, we see that in military movies where you're not supposed to give a shit about these 50 men. You just saw get yep. mowed down, right? I, it, there's just, it's like a total empathy, right? About... Well, this, this is a the total, cannon fodder. You're supposed to cut off. You're only supposed to have you empathy about for these the people, people we tell you to have yeah. empathy for. So I find I actually, that's something that strikes me sometimes mm-hmm. when I'm watching action or a big apocalyptic movie or something like that is that we're not, we're not supposed to care. Yep. They, they'll they take out hundreds of people and we're, oh, but John Cusack's okay. Well, yeah. And that's how we target things though. Oh, and who's the other guy? Woody Harrelson's in that. Yeah. I love him. (laughs) Pretty much love him in whatever he's in. Yeah. He's entertaining for sure. Yes. (laughs) And the other one, what is the other one? I watch every year, Independence Day. Oh, yeah. Of course. With With a different Quaid. With with a different Quaid. With the crazy Quaid. Crazy Quaid. When they were blowing up the cities. And you see all the... Watch a disaster flick. But there's a new one that was out. And my husband and I were going to see it. It's like Moonfall or something. The oh, yeah. Mo- and, but yeah. it's already like two I showing. I missed the Spider-Man movie. Yeah, I haven't seen that either. I'm, I'm like, I'm hoping it's going to come on Disney. And supposedly you're supposed to watch that before Venom and Eternals. So we're like, do we wait or do we just watch the other two? Because we already have them for Well, if you night. can't sleep, you might want to try Eternals. <laughs> oh. Yeah, that's pretty much what I've heard. I, I mean, I... I have a very low threshold. I can watch pretty much anything and it'll keep me entertained. I was like doing my nails, reading a book. It was Kingsman for me. I started, I was on (sighs) Facebook because I was watching with my husband and I'm like, yep. You had to have noticed I didn't give a shit about the movie, Jeffrey, because I kept reading you random things from the internet and showing you houses. (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't even, I, I started watching it and I felt like, the, what made the first one was the humor. That's what I said to Jeffrey. I was like, there's no humor there, in this. No. And I didn't know I was sitting down for a, a war movie. I'm not yeah. in the mood for a war movie when there's real war happening. Yeah. No. And that's us. Out. <laughs> Thank you for listening. On that note. <laughs> yes, we'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Mystery Monsters and Mayhem. Find us on Facebook and Instagram or at our website, mysteriesmonstersmayhem.com. 
Please like, rate, and review, follow, and share wherever your favorite podcasts are downloaded. Thank you for listening and supporting our podcast. We'll be back next week with more shenanigans.